0: So let's take over the world, shall we? Uh, Today we're going to talk about intertestamental history, the uh, background for the New Testament, and we're either going to have to go all the way back to the beginning of history itself or pick some spot along the way. So we're going to pick a spot along the way. And for us, it's going to be 330 BC when Alexander the Great comes to... Jerusalem, might have been a little earlier, like 333, um, and he, um, you know, if you look at a map, if you march around from Greece to Egypt, which was, his, you know, that was a very uh, attractive target because of the wealth and the food which you could grow there. Greece is rather barren, it's got a lot of hills, it's not the best place to grow grain, so... Um, If you've got empire in mind, Egypt is a a good place to start. Uh, And so, um, uh, Palestine just happens to be a major crossroad. If you want to go north to south on the land, uh, you go through Palestine. If you go to go east to west or west to east, either by sea or over, well, by sea really. Earthly through land. There's a major caravan, um, kind of like the ancient interstate that's just down the hill from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So he grew up seeing all the people of the world passing by, uh, not very far away. Anyway, um, Alexander took over. We don't know what kind of empire he would have set up had he had time because he died shortly thereafter. And then... Uh, the Greeks divide up the empire, uh, by each general taking an area. So, um, oh, Seleucus takes, um, Syria and, uh, all of his descendants are named Antiochus. It seems like there are a lot of them. There's some Seleucus as well, what's called the Seleucid dynasty and the ptolemies take over egypt and there's a lot of other space you know other stuff going on as well but these are the main two we'll need to worry about um and the greeks um held on to the idea of the uh, greek pantheon although even by that time uh they were philosophically moving away from uh polytheism there were greek philosophers who had the idea that Uh, Maybe there's just one God, Um, a kind of philosophical monotheism. Um, But in the popular mind, and therefore politically, uh, they were still committed to uh, polytheism. However, they were fairly accepting of the the, um, mores, the rituals, the customs of the people they conquered, uh, for the most part. And they weren't inclined to a lot of uh, genocide or uh, mass deportations. Uh, You know, there are different ways to kill a culture. One can kill all the people with that culture, just straight-up genocide. But on the other hand, you can suppress the culture itself. And um, as time went along, there was one of the Antiochus... Uh, Antiochus, Antiochus, uh, and maybe that's it, um, came along, Antiochus IV, who he named himself Antiochus Epiphanes. And Epiphany, if you know your Christmas story, means a manifestation of the divine. It's from the Greek Epiphano. So, uh, he is divine Antiochus. And... He sets himself up as the the kind of Johnny Appleseed of Greek culture. We are going to uh, make me great by enforcing uh, Greek polytheism uh, everywhere, and not just uh, in Syria, where i you know, where he has the kingdom, but in the uh, subordinate areas as well. So we've got this province called. Well, I don't know if they called it Palestine, but that's what it was. Um, And Antiochus uh, went through, well, he had a a conflict with Egypt. And according to Maccabees, he won it. Probably according to Antiochus, he won it. But uh, when I studied history, we were told that he didn't get very far. And he was kind of cranky when he came away from Egypt because he had not gotten very far and so as he marched back home through Palestine uh, why not a little bit bit of ransacking and rampaging along the way and he shut down the worship of Yahweh and reconsecrated the temple to Zeus and to mark the occasion uh, they had something the Greeks loved which was a barbecue pig right there in the temple which uh, comes down to us as the abomination of desolation. Um, there's, you know, in Judaism, nothing, no animal um, less um, amenable to the Jewish mind than the pig. And to have a pig sacrificed right there in the temple of Yahweh and sacrificed to Zeus, that was just a great impurity and a great outrage. So... Uh, there was this guy, Mattathias, um, and we read about him and his sons in the book of Maccabees. Let's see, I think in chapter one. Hmm. Hold on. Okay, he had uh, this, yeah, at the very beginning, Mattathias, son of John, son of Simeon, a priest of the sons of Zorab, Jorab, Jorab, um, who lives in Modin. And as I recall, um, priests weren't necessarily in Jerusalem all year long. There were just too many of them. And so you would uh, move in and out of the city and then, Go back to your hometown um, in the meantime. So when all this happens, he either left Jerusalem, seeing it coming, or he wasn't there to start with. Anyway, uh, he's out at Modin with his sons, Simon. Uh, let's see, five sons. John, who is surnamed Gaddis. Simon, Thice, uh Judas Maccabeus, which is where we get the name Maccabees for the book. Eleazar, who is surnamed Aberon and Jonathan, who was surnamed Aphas. Um And so, they're very upset. Mattathias is, um, you know, crusty old priest, uh, very devoted to God. He, you know, doesn't like any of this. So, the king sent representatives to all the villages to set up the worship of Zeus, uh, make sure everybody in the Surrounding countryside is going along with the program. and Countryside tends to be more conservative than city year in, year out. Um, it's certainly true for our country, but it's true there where people in the city will kind of go along and get along. People in the country are just going to keep doing it the same way they always have because, you know, you aren't going to change us. So anyway, this representative of Antiochus Epiphanes comes to town. He wants to have a barbecue. um, And he, um, he, you know, they've done their homework. They know Mattathias is a leader in the community. He's old, he's respected, and so they want Mattathias to go first when it comes to sacrificing the pig and eating the barbecue. And he's just, you know, standing there, you know, working up into a rage. And uh, some Jew from the town comes forward and says, well, I'll go if he won't go. Mattathias is just, he's had all he can take. Now, um, they had not sent a major contingent. There are a lot of little villages. And so, um, you know, one way that you have a sign of confidence as a government is just sending out, you know, one or two people to, uh, start a new policy with the implied threat that, okay, if you kill us, the army will be back. Well, Mattathias just had had all he could take, and he killed the Jew who was uh, going to sacrifice to Zeus, and then he killed the representative of the king, and then he and his sons melted away into the mountains and started a revolution, uh, a guerrilla revolution. They were going to fight against the Syrians. There are a lot of details, a lot of fun stuff. If there was one book from the Apocrypha that I wish had been in my Baptist Bible when I was growing up, it would be this one, because I remember sitting in church during boring periods uh, reading uh, the fun stories from the Bible. This is a really great story. Um... But over time, the old man dies. Um, One of them, in the middle of a battle with the elephant, runs up under the elephant, stabs it from beneath. The elephant falls on uh, the Maccabee, and he dies. But so, you know, but so does the elephant. So it kind of stops the progress there. Anyway, over time, it was a very successful campaign. And... um, the Jews were able to um, expel the Syrians, finally establish their own um, independence along the way. They rededicate the temple, and supposedly there was only enough holy oil to last a day, but instead it lasted eight, nine, how, how long is Hanukkah? Um, so it, it set up the, um, the Hanukkah, um celebration Let me see hold on 8 plus the one extra to use to like the other so yeah basically a week and a day and they rededicated the temple and they pushed back the Syrians And, uh, you know, they all lived happily ever after until Rome came along. And what was it? The 60s, 64, Ptolemy comes through. Let's fast forward. Yeah, Pompey captures Jerusalem in 64 BC. Now, um, Pompey's not really all that concerned with Palestine, uh, he's mostly trying to fight against Julius Caesar. And so as long as Palestine is willing to support Rome, and more importantly to support Pompey, he's willing to go along with it. Um, And I think he sets them up as a client kingdom. But with the Roman, quote-unquote, advisor named Antipater. Um, <clears throat> so lots of stuff with Egypt. Uh, almost 20 years later, Pompey slain. And I believe that a very young Herod, it was either Herod or Herod's father. I think it was Herod, though. Um... He went and bowed down to Julius Caesar and said, you know, I've been a loyal client king to Rome under Pompey. And now that you are the head of the Roman Empire, I will serve Rome under you. And Julius Caesar liked what he heard. Uh, Herod may have been a terrible person. He was a very wily ruler. (coughs) Um, um, he knew which you know he knew how to figure out which way the political winds were blowing, and so um, the Romans left him pretty much alone now. The problem with Herod from the point of view of uh, the Jewish folks uh, was that he was only half Jewish. I think the other half was Edomian, uh Idumean, which is uh, Edom, which is son of Esau rather than Jacob. And um, so not, you know, not totally an outsider. When Rome finally takes uh, Palestine and takes it down, um, the last holdout is um, Masada, and that's right there in Edom. So they've become very Jewish along the way and as fanatical as anybody else. But in the time of Herod, uh he was seen as a goyim, um, part of the nations, and so um, as a way of placating and, you know, pleasing his constituency. You know, so in in uh ennobling himself he takes this kind of run down second temple and rebuilds it. Um and when he first made the proposal they're all upset you're going to have workers coming into the holy places, uh, who, um, have no right to be there. And so he trained Kohen, uh, Kohen, Kohanim, uh, he trained priests, um, to be the workers. And they made, uh, the, um, what we call Herod's temple in one of into one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world. It just glittered from the hill when you approached Jerusalem. It was beautiful. It took a generation to complete. Um, one reason it took so long was he enlarged it. They had spots for the men or women on the outside, then the men, then the priests, then the high priest, then the holy of holies. Oh, and he made one more layer around the outside for the goyim where he could go. And it was splendid. It was huge. Um, what do we do with such a you know, big area? I know, let's sell stuff in the temple. Um, and so um, they had money changing. You could only donate to the temple in shekels. We don't have new shekels being made. Uh, so they had all the shekels and they sold them for a high price. Um, and then the people would dump that in the uh, in the basket you know where you gave the money, and they would take it out and sell it again. It was like tokens at your um, um, at the arcade you used to go to where uh, they don 't take quarters anymore; they take these tokens, and so you have to go and buy uh, <clears throat> maybe four tokens for a dollar so they 're worth about a quarter. But imagine if we could sell two tokens for a dollar, and that 's kind of what was happening. There, So it was, and also uh, if you bring your own sheep or goat or dove to sacrifice, that doesn't make any money for the temple. So let's sell our own there. They could always find a blemish with the one that's been brought and you have to buy the ones we sell, which are unblemished. And also we make money off of it. So that's what's going on in Herod's court. And if you remember uh, later, and this is where Jesus would cleanse the temple. Um, now, um, as time went on, um, you know, Herod was not one of the Hasmoneans. They had at least been Jewish rulers, even though they weren't Davidic. They were um, Levites. They were priests. And so um, so they weren't from the line of David. Um, And, you know, we could spend weeks on this stuff. I'm just giving you the highlight, kind of a thumbnail, that um, power passed from the priests to Herod's family. Um, And so, um, and then the Romans started coming in. And uh, when Herod died, um, I think half of his kingdom was given to one son, and quarters were given to two others. Um, and so the Herod, the Herod you see in Luke is Herod the Great. Um, the Herod you see elsewhere, like in the book of Acts, um, and, um, later, you know, the one that wants to see Jesus, uh, these are the sons of Herod, um, but they're all Herod, so it gets confusing, <clears throat> um. But there became this longing for a restoration. We, you know, we've got this kind of client kingdom to the Romans. We, we all know that means the Romans are telling us what to do, even though they let us have our own institutions. When the Sadducees are afraid that Jesus will raise a ruckus and the Romans will come and take our place for us, they're very pragmatic. We get to have our worship, our way. you know, and it's making us fabulously wealthy. Uh, at the same time, if we have some kind of rebellion here, uh, the Romans will come in in force and they'll eliminate the client kingdom and just rule it directly. So that's what they're afraid of. On the other side, there are people that want a son of David to come in and push out. Um, the Romans and push out the Herodians and establish, you know, a kingdom of David. Some kind of descendant of David will come out. Um, Now, we say a president has been inaugurated in our country because, you know, we're basically Roman and they would have an augur and a a you know, a moment where they would uh, make a, a consul. Um in palestine they had a messiah mashiach and that means anointed so the anointed one becomes the king that's it's not coronated with a crown it's not inaugurated with reading the entrails of a goat or something the king has oil put on his head in a ceremony that indicates that he is becoming king so the messiah son of david Christos, these are all synonyms for each other. And they're looking for a Messiah, but obviously in their mind, in the popular mind, even in the mind of the disciples, um, there's this idea. And John the Baptist, you know, uh, the Messiah is going to come and going to lay the axe at the root. Uh, He's going to cleanse things. He's going to... um, um, reinvigorate the zeal of uh, Judaism, and under that zealousness, they are going to kick out the Romans and any impurities. It's going to be a religious holy war. And Jesus comes and doesn't really fit that, um, and yet people start thinking of him as the Messiah. And so in order to do that, you have to radically redefine what it means to be the Messiah. This is a totally different thing than what we're looking for because you had, in addition to Sadducees, who were the heads of the priestly class and fabulously wealthy, um, you had Pharisees who were more middle class, and their base of operations was not the temple. They weren't a priestly class. They were very devout, but their devotion was around the Torah, and their base of operations was the local synagogue. And so um, when the fall came, the two divisions of Judaism that survived were the Pharisees and the Christians, and they were vying to be the legitimate you know heirs to judaism that was kind of the purpose behind luke and acts is to show that uh, christianity is not a new religion it's a very old religion it's just this manifestation of it so um, in addition to that group there were the essenes john the baptist could have been an Essene. they had kind of a cult-like operation out in the wilderness where people gathered together and um, you know they were they were fixated on cleanliness also on the study of uh, the scriptures and the Dead Sea Scrolls um, were a collection of kind of the library of the Essings out in the wilderness Um, so they are important though we don't see a whole lot of them because You know, kind of like the Amish. They're out on their farm somewhere um, and they don't interact much beyond John the Baptist with Jesus. He might not have been an Essene, but he was Essene adjacent. Um, And then, um, okay, those are the major branches. Oh, of course, the Zealots. Uh, And you can imagine what a Zealot was. They were the ones who were full of God's zeal and wanted to drive out the Romans and the uh, Idumeans and the impure Jews and um, they were like the extremists in the, um, in the French Revolution um, when it came when it when the conflagration came uh, so those are the background um Greek and really it's Greek culture uh, the Romans as they went east um, recognized the accomplishments of the Greeks and kind of wanted to them for themselves. And so any Roman official that you're having to deal with uh, could speak Greek. Now, you know, the common uh, legionnaire, not so much, but um, you know, you develop trade sign language stuff like that a pigeon uh for those kind of interactions but at the top level uh, the jewish people have been dealing with people speaking greek for 300 years and um greek customs make inroads into um jewish uh judaism there's the decapolis uh ten cities greek word um 10 Greek cities uh, founded in their midst. Um, And so they've got Greek speakers around them. It's not like um, they had the right to expel all the foreigners anymore. The the xenophobia, um, you know, you have a foreign government saying, get along with these people, and you kind of have to learn to get along with them. In their syncretism, the Greeks as we saw earlier, identify Jehovah with Zeus. Uh, both of them are the father God. Both of them um, are worshipped with bulls on occasion. Uh, Zeus became a bull. Um, there were bulls that were made to represent Yahweh at times, which was seen by the purists as a, you know, a breach, but the people that made them were thinking, well, you know, we need our own statue of uh, Yah- Yahweh, and so here is the bull of heaven. So it's like a simplified, you know, uh, Yahweh's killed off all the other people in his pantheon, uh, but he's still left, and he's kind of like Zeus, and um, so they they saw a parallel there, Greek philosophy starts making inroads into Judaism. Remember, uh, Jewish people can read, they can write, they're learning Greek, they're translating the Bible into Greek. And so there are people like Philo in Alexandria. Now, Alexandria, Egypt is a place that, I'm not sure if Alexander founded it. I think he did. He loved to found towns named Alexandria. And, um, it becomes the center of the great library of the ancient world, but also essentially uh, the ancient university. And so Philo's down there in this heart of, by that time, the Roman, uh, I think by that time the Romans were around, um, by that time, uh, the high spot of Roman learning, and he's applying this uh, Jewish, I mean, these uh, Greek ideas To Judaism. For example, uh, one thing the Stoic philosophers believe in um, is that the guiding principle of the universe is the Logos, Ha Logos, Um, and that we are to behave in a way that's consistent with the Logos, so logic, Um, only it's not. Our narrow meaning of logic is closer to what Spock would say on uh, the old Star Trek. You know, He wasn't talking about Aristotelian logic. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, but they expected life in the universe to be rational, and so we should behave in a rational way. Well, Philo took this doctrine of the Logos and applied it to Judaism. And later on, um, the author of the Gospel of John begins his Gospel in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And they do this, they align themselves with this Greek philosophy because they're able to go back to Genesis 1, and how does God create? He creates through His Word, and God said, let there be light, davar, is the word for said, but with its vowels repointed a little differently, it's also the word for word. Um, So God creates through his word. And so God is the word. God is the Logos, or Jesus is the Logos in the case of John. So you see um, um, these Greek ideas um, by the time of the New Testament have deeply interacted with Judaism, and Judaism alone could never come up with the concept of a son of God being God. You know, you have sons of God in the Old Testament, but they're more or less um, secondary beings like angels uh, in a kind of hierarchy. The idea that God and a human woman would somehow get together and have a baby. This is very Greek. You see it all the time. and All the other Polytheistic religions have the um, interbreeding of gods and humans, but that's not part of Judaism. So Christianity, from its very beginning, has a strong influence of both Judaism and Greek f- philosophy/religion uh, mixed in with it. Um, was one reason it was so outrageous to Jews to that you know, son of David's one thing. Son of God? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, All right, so what else? Just as we move forward in a... Oh, we didn't finish. Okay, so um, Jesus is condemned under the... Jewish law for committing blasphemy son of God I don't think so you've got to die Um, but Romans don't care about that and so the charge that Rome condemns him under is not that he claims to be the son of God but that he does claim to be the son of David and is therefore a Messiah and is therefore dangerous to Rome he's trying to instigate a revolution against Rome. Um, And that is the formal charge that leads to his crucifixion. Um, Whereas, you know, for them, you know, it's all great to rebel against Rome and everything. At least some Jews uh, if not the Sadducees, but uh, oh, yeah, but they don't want um somebody saying he 's the Son of God, and mainly they were worried, you know they wanted their society to continue the Romans what have the Romans ever done t- for us? You know you should watch that Monty Python video, they like the aqueducts, they like the legions making the roads safe, and the uh, seas safe and um uh, with Rome, if you give in to the Roman rule, you can have a pretty comfortable life, especially if you're at the top of the pile. Um, And there were people within Judaism, like the one at Modine, that wanted to reach out and partake of the other things this culture involved, such as, um, you know, go down to the gym. Now, First, a gym is a place you exercise, which it was for the Greeks. Um, but you exercise gymnas, which is the Greek word for naked. And a young Jewish man would go into the gymnos and they would get naked, uh, which is the way you exercise, and Greeks would make fun of their circumcision. So some of these uh, young men went to the extent of figuring out a way to reverse the circumcision, which I have no idea how that worked. Um, But it was a way of making themselves look more Greek and less Jewish. which, of course, is horrible apostasy to anybody that uh, doesn't go along with that. So there are these currents, these tensions within Judaism. Uh, Jesus inflames them with his presence because, you know, he's another prophet. He's preaching something a little bit different from everybody else. He's upsetting the apple cart. We kind of know the lay of the land. Here's this new person uh, that we don't know how to deal with. Okay, so Jesus is killed under the charge that he is making himself a Messiah, a son of David, a Christos, who is going to free the Jews from Roman rule. Um, As far as we can tell, based on the evidence we have, Jesus was never that. But there were people who were. Um, And so... Not too many years, you know, if he dies in the early thirties. Um what's on here? The Jewish Revolt, the first Jumus Roman War. 66 to 73 so you know a generation after jesus what happened to start that one okay so um this won't be a surprise to anybody they were upset about paying taxes to rome and so they started attacking Roman citizens. Gessius Florus, the Roman governor, plunders the temple, claiming the money was for the emperor. He uh, then arrests a bunch of uh, senior Jewish officials, and a widespread rebellion starts. So you've got these zealots who are always being zealots, kind of, you know, driving the conversation, but not really doing much. Now all of a sudden, they're Thousands and thousands of new recruits who finally see what the zealots have been saying all along. Uh, Herod Agrippa II, along with the Roman officials, fled Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem became taken over uh, by, the, um, by the zealots. Um so the Romans came down to uh, take back this uh, rebellion they were ambushed at the battle of Beth Horam 6000 Romans massacred the legions aquila lost is that an eagle um, the Judean free government was formed with former high priest Ananias Benanias. Hm. Hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't see any particular... Um, okay, I, don't, I didn't see any particular guy rising up to be the Messiah of this particular... Um, Rebellion. It just kind of took place. Everybody rose up at once. You know, the the Romans had gored everybody's ox. They uh, invaded the temple, which pisses off the Sadducees, because if there's one thing a rich person will not tolerate, it's having their money taken. And this isn't specific to Judaism. We see this, you know, in our own country as well. Just the wealthy hold on to their wealth at all costs and so the top one percent in any country is very focused on uh you can do whatever you like we'll reverse circumcision as painful as that is Uh, we'll get naked in public which you know a traditional jew would never do um but oh my god he took and it's impious as well it's a, a strike against judaism so they're all together for the moment and kicking Roman ass here's the thing though problem with the Romans they they weren't always they didn't always have the best generals a lot of times they have really bad politically connected uh, people get appointed to be generals and uh, they'll lose an army and get killed and lose the eagle Um, The problem with Rome, though, is Rome always sends another legion. They just don't know when they're defeated. They are not going to send somebody to ask Palestine, what do you want? How can we make peace? They're going to keep sending uh, the legions until they wipe out this rebellion. Why? Because they've got a huge empire. If they let Jewish people get away with this, uh, anybody can get away with it. Then you know, you can't fight Rome with iron. You have to fight Rome with gold. You can always bribe their officials, but apparently the uh, Jewish folks were out of patience with it. This uh, patient and his son, Titus, um, went up against Jerusalem. Um, the uh, zealots finally took over you know that's the um, the the rebellion continued it became more extreme we see this in the French Revolution and so um, um, here Simon Bargiora that's not the one I was looking for either So they enter into the city. Um, The Edomians, remember, Herod's family and the zealots fighting along together. Um, The high priest, Ananias ben Ananias, was killed and his faction was, you know, they tried to kill as many of them as they could. Sadducees and the zealots started fighting each other, so um, this descent into civil war Um, Matches, of course, we mentioned Nero, this is going on, Um, you know, and Nero is killed, Vespasian is called back to take over, and his son Titus has to finish off uh, besieging Jerusalem and eventually Masada. Uh, which finally falls in 74 so uh, you know the Romans will not leave until this thing is stamped out altogether and if you have to die on Masada so be it Um, they're just not giving up the Romans don't give up they don't go away if you do kill them they come back Um, and The, um, the focus of Judaism then shifts to away from the temple and totally into the uh, synagogue. And so the Zealots are dead, the Sadducees are dead, uh, the Kohen don't have anything to do, the ones that are left. Um, the Essenes got wiped out in the middle of all this. I I'm not quite sure who killed them off. Who's left standing? It's the people who were not in Palestine. Because by this time, I don't know, in 2018, there were more Jews living in New York than in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. And that was probably the case by the time of the rebellion in uh, Judea. Um, that there were many, many Jews living around the Roman world. Um, If you study our own history in Louisiana in the South in general, in the United States, Judaism has always been a minority, but most towns would have at least a few Jewish families in them. Um, And, um, you know, they would move about seeking commerce like Paul, and they would be kind of moving what in the day they call drummers in the United States, kind of traveling salesmen. Travel is a lot of pain, so they would find a town without a store. Let me just stay here. I'll set up a store, and then I won't have to travel. Um, and so Paul is from Tarsus. He's a you know from a Gentile area. He's used to speaking Greek. He's used to getting along. And the, the Jews and all the rest of the Roman Empire didn't rebel. Uh, This is a local rebellion. Um, It might create some problems for them, but overall, um, you know, as long as they were willing to go along, they were able to get along. The Romans weren't interested in wiping out Judaism. They wanted to wipe out this particular uprising. And so who's left standing at the end of this? As we said earlier, it's the Pharisees. And so you find when they do get around to writing the the Gospels that the Pharisees are the worst enemies of Jesus because their descendants were the ones who are still around uh, and uh, the worst enemies of the church. And the other sect of Judaism that survived the fall of Jerusalem and the uh, ransacking of Palestine is the church. And so um, the descendants of Pharisees focused on uh, the synagogue focused on the rabbi as opposed to the kohen, um, studying the scriptures rather than uh, carrying out uh, ritual uh, sacrifices. And, um, the synagogue becomes the, um, the the surviving part of Judaism. And out of the synagogue grows the church. So you find, you know, Paul talking about whenever he goes into a town, he finds local synagogue. He teaches people there. Uh, this is our Messiah. This is our doctrine. And then eventually they get kicked out. And they form the nucleus of the church, which is based on the model of the synagogue, um, Okay, so this is a telescoped historical background of the New Testament. Uh, I took a whole class, you know, a whole graduate seminar in um, Jewish history uh, and Christian history and world history as the background of the New Testament. This is kind of my thumbnail attempt to get at some of the most important stuff for understanding what's going on in the New Testament. Um, so, it, you know, there's a lot left out. I feel like I'm shortchanging you, but, you know, we do know probably enough now to start to look at uh, what's going on in the New Testament. It makes a little more sense, uh, given the the backdrop of world history at the time. But, you know, a lot of the early church history is going to, along with the backdrop of the, um, the the ransacking of Jerusalem because of the prediction of Christ most of the Christians left Jerusalem at the early stage of the revolt so they got away without you know being caught up in the you know either killed by Romans or killed by Sadducees or killed by zealots you know they weren't popular with any of them some of them I think were killed But they tried to opt out of this war. Okay, well that's it for now. If I think of anything else, I'll add it back in later.